to the Creative Curmudgeon, where the intellectual elite discuss creativity and other important matters. Today, I will be having a discussion with Carissa Lucille. In addition to being a zine creator, Carissa runs Wasted Ink Zine Distro in Phoenix. They also work in textiles and photography, and their work in all these fields often revolves around the themes of neurodivergence, disability, and queerness. Here, we will discuss why they create, how they create, and how people might create in the future. So buckle up for a wild ride, because the creative curmudgeon is at the steering wheel, and we don't believe in brakes. Hello, Carissa. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Jason. I'm happy to be here this morning. Um, let me ask, what are you working on currently? It's a question I'm asking myself almost daily right now. <laughs> um, I am in my, like, what I like to call my hibernation time during the year. It's like usually November through February is when I'm more quiet and internal and just working on new work, thinking of new ideas, letting my brain live in creativity. And I'm kind of demanding a lot of it to come up with new ideas or explore new things. Um, so right now, I'm not necessarily working on one singular thing. It's more of an exploration of ideas and just letting my mind ramble to itself um, with hopes that it produces something on the other side <laughs> so, like you just do you, do you just naturally just like get in that mode in november or is it like a a premeditated thing i think it happens whether i like it or not um i find that the winter time is when my brain isn't most creative and so i just have leaned into it and let it explore without mm -hmm the exact goal of producing anything in the winter time or um, having brilliant ideas. I let that come like springtime. So it's more of a time for me to just learn and absorb and also listen to what direction my brain wants to go creatively. Yeah, that makes sense. I have found that when I'm not working on stuff that I feel like really weird and I'd like to think that it's because, oh, I'm just like naturally like, you know, such a creative person that I just have to get stuff out there. But I think it's closer to capitalism and me just like feeling guilty because like society is just telling me that I need to be doing stuff all the time. Is that a similar sort of conflict in your brain? I certainly feel the push to be producing all year round, but I also know now that I'm a bit older and I've gone through a few creative years that um, I can really only produce one good thing a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so if I try to push it, um, other things start to get chaotic and out of, out of funk. Um, and so I feel as though if I really focus on just one thing um, and doing it thoroughly and, well executed something I'm proud of and it might not even be external it might be internal to me but if I just focus on one thing I am overall happier with the process and the result instead of every month trying to reinvent myself and my ideas 
simply to keep up with like the idea of constant production. Yeah. Um, even pr- producing content, like as an artist, it just can be so exhausting and overwhelming and, and not the work that I'm most proud of if I'm trying to really push it to happen. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're just trying to make stuff like for the sake of it, and then you look back on it and say like, Oh, that didn't really mean as much as I thought or whatever. Yes. And I found that I'm a kind of artist that I don't always know why I'm making something until it's over. And then I look back and say, oh, this is what this is about. This is what this is about. These are the themes that connect the pieces. Like, so sometimes I'm creating without a goal um, or without a direct intention, which can take quite a long time to figure out, like, what what the heck am I trying to say here? (laughs) So Hmm. it'd be strange to define it early without knowing what it is. I see. So you don't really like go in with like a manifesto in mind necessarily. It just kind of develops like after the fact or during it. Oftentimes. Yes. Oh, which I know not every artist does it that way. (laughs) Right. I don't know if that's even the best way to approach things, but it's just kind of what I've noticed over the years with my own brain. I mean, it makes sense that you're not like forcing some sort of idea that might not even like come naturally to you like I, I think that method makes sense when you are working on stuff like what are your creative routines usually like in a class I'm in right now we talked about that creative mode like what we have to do to put our brain in a space where it can be creative where we're not necessarily working on the admin side of being an artist or um, the, the business side of it like how do we just exist naturally every day in a creative mindset to allow ourselves to be creative. And so I think creating routines to help promote that brain space is important for me. And it's something I've kind of been changing up recently um, because so much of what I do is admin work. So all of my artwork, my artworking could be admin work instead of the creative side of it. So when I am producing things and working on ideas and such, a lot of it is setting aside time to allow my brain to come up with ideas, to put pieces together, to kind of connect the dots that allow creativity to happen. So in the morning, I'm pretty early riser every day, just naturally. (laughs) So um, around 6 a.m. I'm up. And my brain is already in a creative space. So I'll do a lot of doodling and um, even I'm not an artist or painter or drawer in that way, but oftentimes I'm just sketching out ideas, um, using watercolors to even paint colors together just to get the idea out of my head so I can start my day. Um, And then I'm doing, you know, the social media stuff, the email things in the morning as well. And then, um, I start with an easy project to start my brain off with. Again, something creative that I can complete quickly, whether it's a quick painting or a sketch or something, um, before I dive into something more complex. Um, 
And I know for myself that I have to be able to complete a good chunk when I sit down. So if that doesn't happen, then I feel a little bit frustrated. Um, so I like to do all my research ahead of time. <laughs> you feel frustrated just because there's kind of like that block and then you can't really like go on with your with your day unless you kind of like solve that puzzle or whatever? Yes. Or, um, or I find myself needing to stop in a place that's not easy to pick up when I come back. So I'm always writing notes to myself about where I've left off in a project and um, to kind of give myself a little guide guide path back to that place where I left off. Um, I find interruptions rather hard. So I want like a good five hour chunk that I can sit down and do something. Mm -hmm. That's not always possible, but that's the ideal. (laughs) Has it been hard, like as a neurodivergent person to like, like I'm assuming there's been some like trial and error as far as like this works for me and like this doesn't work for me or like has there was there like a while of like you trying to do it like a certain way because it was kind of like how it was like supposed to be done or whatever and then just like feeling defeated when that didn't work out before you uh developed different processes that was a really jumbled question but hopefully you can figure something out from that oh yes I I completely think so because for me, I've always tried to, like, I want to hack my calendar. I want to hack my life and have everything very routine-based and organized in those ways. Um, and then over the years, just realizing that I was really ping-ponging around and never able to um, allow myself the time to explore and to make mistakes and to learn. And um, so I was really trying to, like, squeeze blood from a stone almost um, and fit into routines that were not my own. Mm-hmm. And it did take a while to figure out what I really needed in order to be creative in my own way. And um, I know still it doesn't, it may or may not look like what other people do and thrive in. But for me, I know it's kind of exactly what I need. And yet there's flexibility within it to change and adapt mm-hmm. to my needs and my brain paths and everything that I want to do and explore. Yeah. So it's definitely taken a while. (laughs) Um, What or who initially inspired you to start doing creative stuff in general? I think with zines, it was um, almost a matter of necessity for me because I had all these skills that, I learned in journalism college that technically would have allowed me to write and lay out and publish my own magazine. And I really wanted a place where I could have my own voice heard. And so that's kind of why I started my first scene was just needing to have a space where I could say what I wanted to say in my own way. Um, And meeting other zinesters along that journey really inspired me. My friend uh, Mary Rose was one of the first zinesters I've ever met in Phoenix. And I kind of like latched onto her because she allowed me to learn so much about zines just by having that friendship with her. Um, With my photography, I've always done, I've always done it. So when I was a kid, I was shooting film when I was, eight or nine years old and 
in high school, I was in photography classes in college. So it's always been a part of my life. And I think that my parents really inspired me. My family is full of photographers. So having that like family history has always been really neat to me. And I love to continue it. And right now I'm working on projects where I'm preserving some of my family's photographs and slides and things. And that's very satisfying to me. I'm sorry, just like family history, just like, you know, road Mm -hmm. trips and whatnot. Road trips and whatnot. And it's interesting because my grandma was was the photographer of the family. So she's not in many photographs. So trying to find and collect specific photographs of her has been really satisfying to say, like, this is the photographer, the person behind the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been fun to kind of say, you know, who's this family member? Like, what's this? Tell me the story behind this picture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm very lucky that I get to ask those questions. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, just questions that like won't ever be answered from those like old photos that I think that are like equally is interesting to just kind of piece shit together in your head. Oh, yes. And as far as my quilting goes, um, I knew that I probably in my lifetime would never be at a level that I was happy with, with painting and things like that. So quilting allows me to express myself in a very painterly way in a medium that is more accessible to me. Mm -hmm. Um, What inspires me are other quilters and textile artists who do art quilts and, and big experimental things and soft sculptures and are just kind of making textiles without rules and I just really appreciate that. That really inspires me. I'm curious because I know nothing about like quilting, like outside of you from like, you know, the perspective of like, you know, this person's work or like whatever. Um, nor had I really heard of using quilting to convey any sort of like, you know, mission statement. Is that like a pretty prominent thing that I'm just like not in the know about or... I think that, you know, part part of my learning and research has shown me that textiles and um, fiber arts have had a really important history across the world and learning about how they've been, you know, small embroidery pieces might have been used to tell a story and pass it around to people or to document a moment in history um, or to protest something. Um, that's really been educational for me and shown me, you know, how textiles have been used in history. But I think nowadays, um, there's still a stigma around like fiber arts and quilting and things that say, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's craft, it's not art or it's women's work. So it's not artistic. It's not elevated. Um, you know, you hear all these things, but I really try to just ignore that and just make art that I like and that I would want to touch or interact with and look at. So, (laughs) yeah, that's awesome. What makes something click in your brain? No pun intended. As far as whether something should be a photography subject. I'm particularly drawn to macro photography and really always have been. And so If it's something that I want to look at closer than my eyes allow me to, that kind of shows me that maybe I should photograph it and 
and get really nice up and close um, to see all the details and to show other people the details of a, a zoomed in world. Why do you do film specifically? I think it's a love for old and new technology mixed together. So I really enjoy using historic or even antique equipment and processes um, while mixing in digital elements or even some digital equipment. So to kind of combine the two to create a process that works well for me and creates artwork that I'm interested in and that I enjoy. So I like film because it has this mysterious element to it, seeing everything develop and using chemicals and light to create something that's a little bit different than just taking a picture on your phone or even with a digital camera. But yet using digital elements to perhaps scan the film or project the film or um, even to use digital lenses on film bodies, analog bodies, camera bodies. So I really do enjoy mixing things together. And that's not just with, you know, film and photography, but it's also the case with my quilting and with my zines. Like I really just want to use a lot of weird techniques combined together. Mm -hmm. I say just more options through kind of combining the two. Yep. Um, do you feel since like now everybody does have like, a, or most people have smartphones and, you know, can be considered photographers in the Instagram world or things of that nature. Do you feel like that's good as far as like, you know, photography as an art form is concerned, or do you feel like it kind of takes away from like the craft of like people wanting to get into film and whatnot? I think that film is really popular right now, which is really cool to see. I see a lot more young folks using um, film cameras and posting them all over their <laughs> Instagram and other websites and things like that. Um, the film cameras alone have skyrocketed in price over the past few years. And that's a trend we've continued to see um, as well as, you know, there's been a lot of companies bringing back films that have been previously phased out. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of interest and a lot of people getting into it as an art form. And I think that is good. I think it's great that more people are exploring it, um, whether it's something they pick up for a few years or something that's just a hobby to them, or they go on to become what they would consider professionals. Like I think there's room for everyone. And the way that Instagram's algorithm currently is discourages singular photos being posted. So I'm excited when I find a film photography account that I can just scroll through and see their images. Um, right now it's all about reels. It's all about advertisements and selling products on Instagram. Whereas, you know, when it first started, it was an account where people were just sharing singular images and it really was about making and sharing the best images that people could. But yeah, I assume that like with like the film research and said it's kind of like similar to like people being all into vinyl now that like when things become like so 
accessible to the point where uh, it kind of like takes away from, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think you understand where it's like, you know, it's, it's a desire to get more into the older stuff. That's more of a direct experience, I guess. I don't know. I think so. I think there's definitely, you know, everyone, people jump on different fads and, and trends um, that I do think there are people that can really sink their teeth into photography because there's so much, especially film and analog processes. There's so much to explore mm-hmm. and I hope they kind of get involved and get kind of obsessed with it just like me. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so back to zines, um, what do you think is the value of doing something as a zine versus doing something as like, you know, a longer traditional book versus like having stuff like on a blog. You know, it's all about the individual's goal. So I think that you could have a series of blog posts that are turned into a zine that are turned into a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's kind of what what people individually value and what they want to do with the content. Um, you know, I might put up a, a photo show or an art show that ends up in a zine. Um, it's kind of how I ask myself, how many people do I want to reach with this content? And what do I want their experience to be? And where do I want to route them and lead them? So that kind of guides me in my decision of what goes in a zine versus on the wall in an art show or exhibition. Um, but for other people, I, you know, they ask me all the time, well, I just, you know, I just used to do it. I don't think it should be a zine. It's like, well, it could be, <laughs> it could be a one-off. It could be a series. It could be expanded into a book. A lot of people <clears throat> will write a zine and then expand it into a book, which I think is really cool, whether mm-hmm. it's self-published or otherwise. So I think there's room for all of it. And I'm just <clears throat> interested in hearing people's thought process and and then sharing what mine is as well. Um, what was it like when you first got into zines or realized that you were into zines as far as like finding that community? Like, was it like pretty easy or was it a struggle for a while? I was making my first zines without knowing anyone else who was making them. So I didn't have an idea of what they should or should not be um, or how they should be made. I didn't have any rules in my head. All I knew were really strict rules from journalism college, Mm -hmm. which I kind of took a buffet of and chose what would fit best with what I wanted to do. Um, so it was actually harder for me to access the zine community. Um, I don't know if I was looking in the wrong places or not typing the right things into Google. Um, but even back then there were less than 500 people who had the hashtag zine on Instagram as a part of their post or caption. So it was a lot harder to find Mm -hmm. zinesters, uh, Again, maybe it was just because of user error. <laughs> but once I did, you know, I met Mary and she just 
flat out told me when I met her, oh, yeah, I, I do a photo zine. And I was like, what did you say? Because <laughs> mm. I was so excited to meet another zinester in the flesh in real life. Um, and like I said earlier, I kind of just latched onto her because I was like, can you just teach me something, anything? Tell me about your process. And um, then we were folding zines together in a library and talking about different forums online and learning about different zine fests. So I feel as though once you meet one zinester who has access to those spaces, the everything can just open up really quickly. And then I was very welcomed into different online spaces and physical spaces that made me feel like, oh, like this is a very vast, vast phenomenon, culture, community. It's a global situation that I really wasn't, attuned to before at all it's very exciting <laughs> yeah like my my experience with it there was a book i don't know if you know like the research uh book publishing company in the bay area but they did a book about zines in the early 2000s that i uh that i read that was like my first extensive introduction into the idea of zines and before that it would just be like a word that would just occasionally come up in like the liner notes of like a 90s punk record or something like that but even once like finding out um more in depth like what zines even were and that people were doing it um it still became a little bit of a struggle to figure out what i would even do with said thing like in the you know mid 2000s or whatever like if it if it uh, came out which i still don't know totally what to do with it but i do know you so i can say like hey can you put this in your shop or whatever um but yeah it's yep. cool that it's you know, so much easier now for people to find that community. I hope so. When you have like a specific idea, does it always start with format of it being a photograph versus like a quilt versus a zine? Or is it like, I want to tackle this topic ever. Um, and then kind of like figuring out what would best serve that. Uh the latter, so the second one. So it's often um, a feeling I want to convey or a, a theme I want to discuss with other people. Usually it's it's a collaborative thing. It's something I'm researching that I want to talk with about other people, to with other people, and I want their ideas, and I, I just want to learn together. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes it does go through a period of, experimentation where I'm trying it in photography I, I'm writing about it I'm painting about it I'm sketching um, textile ideas and I might have photographs along the way that support the idea so I can kind of see how things flesh out um, but I might not go a, a photography series direction with it so um, or it might be a theme that has been explored throughout multiple mediums and I like one better than the other um it does take me a little while to figure out what it should be represented what medium it should represent the idea or feeling I'm trying to convey hmm. for example um I tried to discuss um disability and relationships within chronic illness and disability uh, through photography for through a photography series and um, it 
was it, I think, a beautiful series. It got invited to participate in a, or be showcased in a group show. Um, but the in, the show in its entirety wasn't as cheery as the venue wanted. And so it ended up getting taken down before it was even seen by the public. Um, and that kind of taught me, okay, I can discuss these topics. I can make art about these topics, but it has to be layered. Um, these photographs might not be as easily accepted because of their face value, because they are very intense right up front. Um, whereas if I make quilts about them, maybe people will enjoy the beauty of what they're looking at before even understanding what they're learning about. And then they read the statement and they go, oh, wow, like I didn't even make that connection right away. Now I'm learning about things and thinking about myself and my family and my issues. So I found that when I'm able to layer things, it's almost more accepted um, than if I'm showing a photograph or trying to illustrate through photography. So sometimes it does take a while to figure out the best, the best process and the best way to represent something. Um, in instances in which you may have encountered uh, somebody maybe missing the point of the quilt and just being like, oh, that's a pretty quilt. Like, do you still think that that's nice? Or are you like, man, fuck that. You're, you you missed the point. You know, I, I try to make things pretty and visually engaging. And if that's all people gather from what I've made, okay, that's fine. Um, because I can't control the way people perceive the art, uh, just like I can't control the way people necessarily perceive myself and me. So if they enjoyed it and they th thought it was beautiful, good. Because I, I hoped I hope it's pretty. I hope it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But if people want to say, okay, what the heck am I looking at here? <laughs> then I'm grateful that they would, you know, look at the website listed or read the caption just so that they can get that layer. Because what I'm really trying to do is start a conversation. Um, so I'm always appreciative when people take the time to look a few steps deeper. Is there or has there ever been any part of you that has judged the success of any creative endeavor um, in regards to how many likes it got or whether it was invited to be in a show or are you 100% just do you just feel something is successful based on your own personal enjoyment of doing it? For me and my work, it depends on the project. Um, if I have an, an end goal that involves interaction, I want interaction from it. Um, and so if no one interacts with it, I'm like, okay, where did I go wrong here? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, where, where did I go wrong in my experience creation that no one had an experience that I was hoping for? Um, but overall and in general, I really do enjoy the process a lot and I learn a lot through the process. And so, you know, I'm judging the success as a whole. Uh, and I think 
the process is one of the most important parts for me. And that being said, if the end goal is interact, if I, if I do want people to have a conversation with me or discuss something with me or think about things or interact in a certain way and nothing, none of that happens, then I'm a bit disappointed and have to rethink how I approach it in the future. What about whether just like something is like completed versus it just being like something that you worked on and didn't quite get around to finishing? Like, do you, do you judge success in it differently either way? You know, I'm always chasing sparkly things. So I have a million unfinished projects and ideas. Mm-hmm. So um, if something is completed, that means that I was, excited about it enough long enough to make the thing to completion and that that feels really nice but completing a project is never exactly a goal of mine unless there's like someone else's deadline involved um because i know that i can leave something off take a break from a project for a year year and a half as i'm learning about it and then come back and finish it and it's just as satisfying if not more satisfying than if I took 35 days and really crunched and finished it in that timeline. Mm -hmm. So there is often like this revolving door of projects that may or may not ever be completed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Going back to uh, the question right before last, I, uh, I I ask because I'm curious what other people's thought processes with this, because like I care uh whether or not people like take in like what I'm making and I feel like really weird about it uh, because it's a lot cooler for somebody to say like, I don't even care if like anybody like sees what I'm doing. Like, I don't care what anybody thinks. Like if that, that feels kind of like flexing when people say that. Um, And like the theories that I've had is because like, you know, I haven't had like a lot of close, like, you know, family connections or even connections with like, you know, friends and whatnot, or feeling cool in any sort of like community or something, then I feel like that's my opportunity to like communicate something Mm -hmm. um, with people. But yeah, it's something that I still feel like really weird about because that's, I I feel like that's very like passe to even say outright that like, I care whether or not something has an audience. Hmm. It makes sense. I mean, with my first zines, I was printing them in the hundreds and just hiding them all over the city. And I felt even if someone threw it away, they had it in their hand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They might've leafed through it, you know? And in that way, I don't know if there's an audience. I hope there's an audience. Um, And the indication of an audience would be that someone emails me or someone follows the social media account or shares a picture of it. So you know, the audience is that interaction piece. And, but for the most part, I would have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could take a really long time. It could take years to actually build that interaction or audience that I was hoping for. So mm-hmm. p- playing with audience and playing with witnessing an audience, witnessing your work, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like, is a very interesting concept for sure. Yeah. Um. What is closer to the top of your creative bucket list i'm sure there's a million things but what is like really really up there lately i've really been of course exploring and down a rabbit hole of quilting i'm trying to think of 
I'm trying to let my brain explore what ideas I want to make and, but I really want to make um, like sculptural pieces that are out of fabric and trying to figure out how to structure it and what it looks like. And I've never done anything like this. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's trial and error in a really elementary way, which is fun and rewarding and time consuming and frustrating altogether. Um, I'm really getting back into book binding. So kind of coming a little bit full circle. I started book binding in 2018 and, you know, took a solo class and was doing things by myself and just exploring. But now I really want to do, I want to make big work. I want to make work that is just absurdly gigantic. Um, any particular reason? I think I am fascinated with extremes. <laughs> so I really, really like very, very small, small, tiny things. And I really like really, really big things. So um, I think that's just what I've been drawn to lately. And I hope that the larger the scale, the more attention is drawn to it. So there's this idea of making a statement, of course, but making it so loudly and so large that it isn't easily ignored. With the, with the book binding, is there any sort of like idea behind wanting to get into that that is, or is it just like, you know, book binding's rad? It's a skill that I think would be great for me to have and to not master. There's no mastery for me, but to be somewhat proficient at so that I can incorporate it into other processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really want to combine processes. So combine some of the textile work with the book binding I'm doing and in a large scale. Um, that's kind of what my where my brain has been leading me. So I'm paying attention and listening and learning. <laughs> and maybe in the springtime, I'll have something to show from all this pondering and thinking. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I know that I'm deeply unlikable and that it's like hard to have a conversation with me. So I appreciate you taking the time out. It's very nice of you. Um, I, I hope that this was an all right experience for you. Mm-hmm.